Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. This is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and I have with me today Tracy Cromwell, who is the author of a book, and I will have her share the title with you, and then we're going to delve into her journey as to what motivated her to write this book, how she chose to write it, the process she went through, the publishing aspect of it. It's something that probably at least 50%, if not more, of the population is going to identify with, Tracy. What's the title of your book? Uh, The title of my book is Your Personal Journey with Food, A Guide for the Confused and Frustrated Dieter. Uh, Yes, and who hasn't been confused by dieting and all of the options that are available? So first I have to ask you, there are so many choices for diets, the Mediterranean diet, the South Beach diet, the the keto diet, the vegetarian diet, the uh, what was the Atkins diet, uh, all those choices. How do we make sense of all of that? Exactly. Um, I have probably tried every diet in the world. Um, I've been a yo-yo dieter all my life. And um, when I, I, my biggest piece of advice and how you can make sense of it is um, looking at things at a little deeper level, realizing not every diet is right for everyone, although we wish there was a cookie cutter, but listening to our body and learning how to do that, that tells us what the right diet is for us. And um, once I realized that, um, it took a lot of pressure off that I had to confine myself to something specific but go through the journey to find out what my body was telling me and the results I would get by eating different things, you know, and, and it's a journey, but I don't, I don't worry anymore what the new fat is. <laughs> like it's too complicated. <laughs> People who know me for a while remind me of the cabbage soup diet that I was on for a while where I did nothing but cook cabbage soup for lunch. Mm-hmm. When I was in nursing school, I remember going on a diet, and it's probably a version of the Atkins diet. But all I did was eat meat and cheese and high protein to create ketosis, which yeah. is actually a quite unpleasant physical sensation to have. Uh, it's kind of a fuzzy, tired feeling in your brain. And yet there are many people now on keto diets who think that it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Have it you ever gone on a keto diet yourself? I did. Yourself? I did. I have tried it. Yeah. And, um, and I, I had some success. It was very hard for me to keep with, but I found out that I actually need a bit more carbohydrate. Um, you know, some of the, the things that aren't supposedly allowed on the keto diet. And um, once I accepted that, I said, okay, fine. I can take a piece of this, a piece of that, <clears throat> put it together. But there are those that their genetic, their DNA makeup, their lifestyle completely fits that, you know, so it works for them. Yeah. 
as a vegetarian, I, I would never be able to tolerate eating all the meat that's associated mm. with the keto diet. Mm-hmm. Bacon, which I used to love, the smell of it now is is really off-putting red meat of any kind. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm hearing you say is looking at a diet that is going to be effective for you, something you're going to stick with, it's going to lead to long-term healthier eating patterns, or maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. Oh, you're, you're doing great. And, and being willing to experiment. I, I think we, we are so hard on ourselves. Um, and we also have a vision, um, I think through marketing of nutrition and diet programs that we should see a result, you know, and change your body in two weeks. I lost 10 pounds in five days, you know, really sets us up for a lot of failure. Um, and, and, um, I want to say um, we, we channel that to ourselves and we, therefore we say that we're the problem and why can't we, why can't we just do something right for once, you know? And so um, what I found finally and, and why, why my co-author and I wrote this book was we realized that that was just harming us emotionally and we were harming our body with all the, the, the crazy zigzags we would take in short periods of time. Um, and so I think being willing to become a student of yourself and enjoying that journey, like you found being a vegetarian really works for you and, and you feel good. Some, some being vegetarian makes them feel terrible and we're, we have to be okay with what the body says and how it responds. And, um, and that was an eye opener, eye opener for me, you know, so, cause I've been vegetarian before mm-hmm. I know those that have been vegetarian, but they're processed food vegetarians. Um, those on keto do all processed meat. That's different than doing organic, you know, grass-fed, um, high-nutrient meats. So, you know, it's making sure that whatever you pick, whatever you try, um, just to add to this is can you level it up? Make sure you're doing it in a, in a way that your body can take those nutrients and create healthy cells, create energy, create what you want you know, your body to become. Yes. Yeah, you bring up a good point about processed food because people uh, who grew up when I did, which was in the 50s and 60s, TV dinners were all the rage, food that you took out of boxes and heated up. And we thought this was an ultimate luxury for us. My mother worked 3 to 11 as a LPN when I was in high school and I remember my sister and I were responsible for opening up the freezer and getting out the box and getting the dinner ready so that when he walked in from work the food would be ready for him and if we dared to get distracted and not have that processed food heated up then he would get angry with us and start complaining about how we weren't doing our jobs And now the idea of eating total chemical meals all the time is so different than the way that I eat. Exactly. And, and, you know, I was, um, I was born in mid sixties. So again, going through that, that um, creation of the processed food and the programming that was told to us, we don't want to spend time in the kitchen. That's for, the, you know, that's for people that aren't important. You know, all this stuff, you were more, it was more important to be doing other things than nourishing your body. And it was really good programming. 
And so we've become so distant from real food and we, we have, um, as a, as a, a species, um, so many of us became accustomed to that taste, that flavor of processed food. And, and we know they make it so that our, our brains just fire with pleasure. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but I remember going through that process of eating, you know, eating a TV dinner. And some of it I thought as a kid, oh, it doesn't really smell good, but it's supposed to taste good. And the potatoes really didn't taste all that good at first, but well, it's supposed to be good. So, you know, over time it got to where I enjoyed, enjoyed it better because of the marketing. So um, getting myself out of that was, um, as I write in the book about the controversies of food, there's a whole chapter about it. And, you know, we're kind of in this matrix. And, um, you know, I took, I can't remember at the moment, I should, but there's a red pill and a blue pill in the movie, The Matrix. And I took the one that made me wake up. And although I didn't want to see the truth of the food industry and I didn't want to acknowledge it, or I didn't want to have to spend time reading labels. I didn't understand them. They annoyed me. I should be able to just read the front of the box and they should be telling me the truth on the front of the box. And, and as I delved into it and the reality of it, I was like, ah, you know, <laughs> Um, this is a great marketing tool for people to make money and not necessarily something that we can truly nourish our bodies with, with all this processed stuff. So, yeah, so that chapter, um, I really, really enjoyed writing because it was just this whole, um, awakening and then being, uh, I just want to put one little thing in. I had to emotionally say goodbye to foods and there was an emotional connection to some of these foods. You know, I always had them as a kid. I always had, we always did this stuff around this food item. And so there was then creating, oh, it was actually the memory of being with my family around that food item. That was really what was the connecting factor. So I realized, oh my gosh, it's not really about you know, that food item can be anything and I can create it into a, a nourishing food item, but still create that community of sitting around the table with my family. It doesn't have to be a processed potato or a processed rice dish or a processed uh, canned high sodium spaghetti sauce. You know, I can make that, um, that change, say goodbye to that and create something even, even better. There are family traditions. I think you're right, Tracy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that a particular holiday is associated with a particular type of food. Mm -hmm. And for those who are more rigid in their approaches, mm -hmm. they can't enjoy the experience of being with family unless all of the factors line up correctly. Yeah. I yeah. am fortunate to be married to a man who's primary goal is to sit down at the table and have the food delivered and he's got a great deal of flexibility in terms of what comes on his table uh, every once in a while maybe once out of a hundred meals he'll say don't serve this one again but the rest of the time he's very accommodating in contrast i worked with a woman whose husband said chicken on monday beef on tuesday um, a fish was probably Friday, Thursday was pasta. I mean, there was no deviation. Every day of the week had its own food, and it was week after week after week after week. Uh, yeah. I couldn't live like that.
but he was very comfortable and happy living that way. I guess it gave him a sense of predictability. I don't know what the quality of it was in terms of process versus non-process, but to me, that would be monotonous. I couldn't do that. I know for us, it's um, on Thanksgiving, it was, it's uh, the stuffing. We had to have the stuffing. If anyone deviated from the recipe when they took over for that year and it wasn't the stuffing, there was like a mutiny, you know? And so whoever, whoever was taking over the turkey or the stuffing had to make sure if they wanted to try and introduce something new, they had to still have the recipe available um, to everybody. <laughs> so it's really, you know, so I think to everyone just looks forward to things. And, and I think when we realize there's an emotional connection towards things like that, and that's, that is what it is, and that's okay. And, and we talk about that as well. The emotional connection with food is real. And so once we understand how we emotionally are connecting with that food item, you know, we can make a decision, you know, that serves us best. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, it's a really, uh, it was a, a hard process for me to go through because I didn't want to quote unquote give up anything. But I, uh, um, I have, and many of my clients have come to these, these states of like, oh my gosh, we can have this as well as that in this way, you know? <clears throat> and so, um, you know, being able to keep the the family traditions and the community around food is really important, you know? So, but can we step it up, make a, maybe that recipe can taste just the same, but we can just modify it with maybe instead of loads and loads and loads and loads of butter, use an olive oil or an avocado oil or, you know, and, and play with those kinds of things. How did you go from a person who was interested in these factors related to food and to diets to saying, I'm going to write a book about it. What was the transition in your mind that led to your book? Yes. So um, my co-author Ingrid and I, we met in school. We went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and she's in Santiago, Chile. And we were supposed to have what's called a a peer coach through school. And she and I decided we were going to just always coach each other. We, We felt like sisters. And what we realized is she's in Santiago I'm here in the United States. We I had it literally figured out. It was 3,200 some miles. We, we mapped it how far away we were. But we realized she and I had a lot of the same health issues, a lot of the same mind uh, challenges with ourselves, um, our, our feelings of um, not good enough. We had the same challenges as getting out of a processed diet. She was clinically you know, on the verge of being obese. I was pre-diabetic in the past. We had strong relations to food. Um, we used food for comfort. Um, we, we basically have done it all, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. and we're like, wow. So if you're 3,200 miles away at, you know, in Seattle and I'm, you know, she's down there in Chile, we just all seemed like, oh my gosh. And we had both gone through this challenging process of figuring it out and we had used very similar ways to do it. We thought we need to tell everybody. So we thought, let's do web classes. Let's do this and that. And the technology was just too much for both of us. And then we thought, let's write a book. We can each take chapters and then we'll do joint chapters and we'll, we'll write down all the things we did and 
um, we need people to hear this message, you know, because it is so confusing. So that's how it started. It was just Allison was like, wow, we are, we are in different countries. Each country is facing the same problem. What's the common denominator? Oh, you know, um, we need to write this book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was the outcome for her? Was she able to lose weight? Yes. So when I, by the time we both met each other, we had resolved many of our health issues uh, and challenges and um, both eating completely different. And even when I was going through school, I still had some, some challenges to deal with with myself, you know, but I think we all, um, life is changing all the time. And, and like COVID-19, for example, we've had to change the way we do a lot of things. So stuff's going to happen. And so no matter what, we're always going to be modifying and modifying and modifying. So, so by the time when we decided to write the book, we felt pretty confident we had figured this out. And um, so the book is one where we hope whoever's in it reads it. There's areas to write. There's questionnaires. There's, you can go down um, to the website and you'll be able to download free PDFs. Um, you know, we want it to be so interactive that the reader feels like they are traveling on their own journey because everybody's journey is different, but there's so many similarities. You mentioned COVID-19 and my thoughts immediately go to what's going to happen to the restaurant industry mm -hmm. and related to the restaurant industry, is there going to be continued resurgence in people being interested in making their own food at home, which is certainly gives them greater control over things like sodium and calories and portions. So first of all, what do you think is going to happen to the restaurant industry? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Um, <clears throat> I know a lot of people really want to get back to eating out, but there's a lot that don't want to go back to that extent. And, you know, if I had a magnifying or a, a way to look into the future, um, you know, I, I don't know if it'll ever be what it was or it'll take a while, you know, um, for people to be able to be packed into a, a restaurant the way they were. Um, I have clients and friends that have lost weight during this time and are, are doing more for themselves than before, but I have others that are going the opposite direction, you know, have gained weight, have had a really hard time processing the changes um, in, the, in life, you know, in their mm -hmm. habits and stuff, but I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. We sort of have a little reprieve right now because it is warm weather. We're recording this at the end of June. So outdoor dining and separating people on patio space is an option yeah. in environments where that can be accommodated, where there is a sidewalk, although certainly not the same capacity as there would be inside the restaurant. Right. But the warm weather doesn't last forever, at least in the, the northern part of the country. I live in the wintertime in Florida where we can eat outdoors longer during the year than we can when we live in New Jersey. But my husband and I haven't been to a restaurant since February, nor have we gotten takeout because we both feel like we're high risk 
and we are trying to control whatever comes inside of our house. Mm -hmm. And yet there are many people who are quite comfortable with takeout or delivery and are still enjoying restaurant meals, although not served with the same flair, maybe in a, a foil container as opposed to on a nice plate, but mm-hmm. still having a chance to feel like they're supporting their local restaurants. Right, right. You know, and um, just the food industry in general, even the food supply chain right now, um, <clears throat> the ability to get um, uh, real food, you know, say vegetables and fruit and, um, you know, uh, dairy and eggs, you know, we've seen that as well, a real challenge with um, getting food anywhere. Um, I've noticed some restaurants, they are, because there's a, I guess there's a different chain line for them. So they're, what they're doing, and this is how we've been getting some of our meats, some of them are doing um, uh, meat, you know, packages, so to keep business coming. So they're still ordering the meats or the fish or whatever, and you can order and pick up at curbside, you know, so there's creative things like that. Um, but um, I think uh, a challenge right now is we're seeing a spike in, in food prices, which is, which is, you know, not helping anybody to try and, you know, that are laid off that have been hit really hard with all of this. Um, that's another thing. Um, um, you know, I could probably write a whole book on the food industry but um, those that are uh, most um, susceptible in this are low-income families or those that have been laid off. So they have to buy the less expensive food because they can't afford to buy real food because it's priced too high. So they're eating the high sodium sauces, the soups, the processed mac and cheese um, because they cannot afford to feed their families with real food. It's, um, uh, and I think too, um, our disconnection from food and being able to cook is a challenge. That's one thing I, I had to <laughs> school myself on how to cook again. Um, I, I have figured out how to buy real food and make soups very affordably um, and things like that. But it was a process to, to learn and for my brain to accept that that was going to be better for us. And now we don't buy if we buy anything processed at all, it's so, so little, but, but I, I'm concerned. Um, and again, I think it's, it's been an issue anyway for a long time is, is, is having healthy, real food available to everybody. Um, there's plenty of food, but we just can't seem to distribute it very well. And we don't seem to price it affordably. <laughs> so. And we waste so much of it too, which is yeah. incredibly sad when there are people who are hungry and we're throwing excess food away. Yeah. You know, those stories of the, you know, some, some people have figured out a solution, but the milk having to be thrown away and, and the, the fresh vegetables rotting and the fruits and, and, you know, we throw so much food away because we don't know how to, to distribute it well and, you know, subsidize the right things. We make, we make food, you know, like wheat and sugar is highly subsidized and it's put into everything that we really don't need it to be in. And um, I always vote, let's subsidize some broccoli. Let's subsidize some other, you know, things so that we can get ourselves out of the processed processed foods and make them more affordable. So. 
That's I cool. So I fun. met a woman in nursing school who lives on a ranch in California. I learned that you don't use the word farm in California. You have a ranch. And I remember one time being in her car and her, she stopped at the end of a row of broccoli. She had a knife in her car. She cut the broccoli off the ground and she gave some to me. And it was a completely different vegetable than the ones that I had seen in grocery stores up to that point in my life where yeah. the, the outer leaves or the little, whatever you call those little nublet or, things on the broccoli. They were turned yellow and, you know, sometimes in the store you get it, it it's the end of its life. Yeah. It, it is amazing the difference just even within the category of fresh, what is fresh from a farm stand and may have been picked a few hours before. Mm -hmm. Or in this case, literally in front of my eyes versus something that's comes shrink wrapped in the supermarket. Yeah. Yeah. Just um, nothing of frozen broccoli that mm -hmm. although it could have been cut and frozen at its peak, it's still not the same as fresh. Yeah. And what I try and explain to folks too is that um, you do the best you can. You, you know, sometimes we don't have a choice of what's even in our area, you know, and, um, we do our best we can. Sometimes even organic food is not even available to people, you know. And um, and so my hope is someday we can get that distribution fixed. And and um, frozen frozen broccoli is great compared to you know high sodium you know canned broccoli. Do they even canned broccoli? I don't know if I've ever seen canned broccoli I don't think before. So. <laughs> but like beans or or something like canned that. Canned peas. Those are the worst. I know. I never liked beans until finally I got to taste some fresh beans. You know, my sister and I had a garden plot at a, just a couple miles up the street and we started growing our own food about four, this is our fourth year. And we finally, we finally got spinach mastered this year and um, all the bugs would keep eating it. And we, we just, it's an organic garden area. So we don't use any, um, anything on it. These amazing, we just, I got to taste them for the first time two days ago, these leaves of spinach and they're big and they were full of water. You could just taste the, the mm -hmm. water and this amazing flavor. And I thought, I'm just eating these raw because I don't want to cover up this flavor. It's incredible. It is. If you can eat it right out of the ground like that, nothing and, like it. And that's a whole different experience. <clears throat> My exposure to spinach up until maybe i don't know 15 years ago was this frozen creamed glop kind of um seaweedy-ish type yeah. consistency of limp um disgusting i think i've conveyed the concept compared to fresh spinach leaves my yeah. goodness yeah. to be able to pick it right out of your garden that is a gift it was incredible and and again, you know, um, some people don't eat any vegetables at all. You know, they, they don't like them. And I think uh, a lot of it, too, is that our, our period of time when the canned processed foods came out, when it was supposed to make life easier. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and so retraining the palate, uh, which we talk about in the book, too, is, re you know, getting, letting your palate kind of try new things and taste and, 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 uh, you know, add something new um, to, again, get your palate. Um, I don't want to say, uh, yeah, I'm just re-educated, <laughs> you know, and um, it, that it, 
that it will then say, hey, you know, I really want this instead of the, you know, the box of Fruit Loops, you know, and so, yeah, it's a process to go through. <laughs> I know that our listeners are going to want to know how to get a copy of your book. What type of guidance can you give us to answer that question? Great. So right now we're starting a campaign for its launch. It's going to launch in September. And so uh, you can go to www.journey, make sure, journeywithfood.com. So just journeywithfood.com. And there you can go ahead and, and um, you'll get a free, just give your email. And I promise I'm not spamming anybody. I'm just collecting email names. I haven't really sent much out to anybody. But when you give your email, you'll get chapter one from the book. And um, yeah, and then as we get closer and closer to launch, we'll be able to tell you where to get the books. So um, it'll definitely be on Amazon. We're looking at getting into some bookstores and things like that. So um, yeah, big campaign is in the start. So all right, perfect. Yeah. And would you give the name of your book again to our listener? So it's your personal journey with food, a guide for the confused and frustrated dieter. All right, perfect. Thank you so much, Tracy, for sharing your expertise with us. We've talked about a wide range of topics related to food. I think the predominant theme has been that many of us were raised with processed food and it is designed to make us crave it, to want it. And some of us have never been exposed to natural organic food, the difference between fresh broccoli and supermarket broccoli and frozen broccoli, for example, is one of the examples that I brought up, or frozen spinach, cream spinach versus fresh. Mm -hmm. You've talked with us about the fact that we should pay attention to how our body feels when we eat. I can think about the time in my life when I was very fond of pizza and I had children who were fond of pizza and after a while, I realized that pizza left my stomach almost hurting after a while from the oil and the fat in the cheese, that if you have to hold up the pizza and blot it with a paper towel before you put it in your mouth, it's got a lot of oil on it. And if you're from New Jersey, you have to eat a pizza folded up with a wide part. You fold it off so that you've got this nice little thing, and then you eat it with a tip. Some people start the other way around and eat it from the crust, but it's always correct if you eat it from the tip. Okay, I'll know that now when I come back. <laughs> you will know that if you're ever in New Jersey. <laughs> and I think you've shared with us that there's a lot about food processing and handling and waste in the United States that we've got to fix. We've got hungry people and we've got food that's rotting and we're not managing this problem effectively so that we get the most out of the resources that go into growing that food and we get it to the people who need it. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it mm -hmm. and, and sadly, the, it's, a, it's a demographic of um, income that makes that difference. And, you know, that's just got to change. But then, you know, um, it needs to be affordable for everybody. Yes, the fresh, healthy food has yep. to be affordable, whereas right now it's the less healthy processed food that is affordable for low-income people. Yeah, and it's, that is feeding the, our, 
our other pandemic, which is obesity, chronic illness, heart disease, diabetes, you know, type two diabetes, um, and then all the the health issues that go with that. And um, but when you can't get access to healthy food, what are you going to do? How are you going to feed your family? You know, and so we are leaving people in positions of no choice, and uh, um, and they don't have an opportunity to to eat healthy. And um, it's a uh, it's something that just really, really needs to change. Thank you, Tracy, for being on the show. I appreciate you as Thank a guest. You. Thank you. I love being here. <laughs> and I appreciate you who's listening to this show on our audio channels or watching it on our YouTube channel, which is Pat Iyer. Be sure to stay tuned for next week when we bring a new guest in, new topic. Our focus is on writing books and how they fit within your platform as an entrepreneur, as a business person, how they establish your credibility and authority. That's the theme of the show, and I appreciate you listening. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S Dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>